Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash Support for more information. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Tonight, I continue the story Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. Chapter 3 Looking Glass Insects Of course, the first thing to do was to make a grand survey of the country she was going to travel through. It's something very like learning geography, thought Alice, as she stood on tiptoe, in hopes of being able to see a little further. Principal rivers, there are none. Principal mountains, I'm on the only one, but I don't think it's got any name. Principal towns, why, what are those creatures, making honey down there? They can't be bees. Nobody ever saw bees a mile off, you know. And for some time she stood silent watching one of them that was bustling about among the flowers, poking its proboscis into them, just as if it was a regular bee, thought Alice. However, this was anything but a regular bee. 
In fact, it was an elephant, as Alice soon found out, though the idea quite took her breath away at first. And what enormous flowers they must be, was her next idea. Something like cottages with the roofs taken off, and stalks put to them. And what quantities of honey they must make. I think I'll go down and... No, I won't just yet, she went on, checking herself just as she was beginning to run down the hill and trying to find some excuse for turning shy so suddenly. It'll never do to go on down among them without a good long branch to brush them away. And what fun it'll be when they ask me how I liked my walk. I shall say, oh, I liked it well enough. Here came the favourite little toss of the head. Only, it was so dusty and hot, and the elephants did tease so. I think I'll go down the other way, she said after a pause and perhaps I may visit to the elephants later on. Besides, I do so want to get into the third square. So with this excuse, she ran down the hill and jumped over the first of the six little brooks. Tickets, please, said the guard, putting his head in at the window. In a moment, everybody was holding out a ticket. They were about the same size as the people and quite seemed to fill the carriage. Now then, show your ticket, child the guard went on, looking angrily at Alice. And a great many voices all said together, like the chorus of a song, thought Alice. Don't keep him waiting, child. Why, his time is worth a thousand pounds a minute. I'm afraid I haven't got one, Alice said in a frightened tone. There wasn't a ticket office where I came from. And again the chorus of voices went on. There wasn't room for one where she came from. The land there is worth a thousand pounds an inch. Don't make excuses, said the guard. You should have bought one from the engine driver. And once more, the chorus of voices went on with, The man that drives the engine. Why, the smoke alone is worth a thousand pounds a puff. Alice thought to herself, Then there's no use in speaking. The voices didn't join in this time as she hadn't spoken. But to her great surprise, they all thought in chorus. I hope you understand what thinking in chorus means, for I must confess that I don't. Better say nothing at all. Language is worth a thousand pounds a word. I shall dream about a thousand pounds tonight. I know I shall, thought Alice. All this time, the guard was looking at her, first through a telescope, then through a microscope, and then through an opera glass. At last, he said, you're travelling the wrong way, and shut up the window and went away. So young a child, said the gentleman sitting opposite to her. He was dressed in white paper. Ought to know which way she's going, even if she doesn't know her own name. A goat, that was sitting next to the gentleman in white, shut his eyes and said in a loud voice, She ought to know her way to the ticket office, even if she doesn't know her alphabet. There was a beetle sitting next to the goat. It was a very strange carriage full of passengers altogether. And as the rules seemed to be that they should all speak in turn, he went on with, She'll have to go back from here as luggage. Alice couldn't see who was sitting beyond the beetle, but a hoarse voice spoke next. Change engines, it said. And there it choked and was obliged to leave off. It sounds like a horse, Alice thought to herself. And an extremely small voice, close to her ear, said, You might make a joke on that, something about horse and horse, you know. Then a very gentle voice in the distance said, She must be labelled lass with care, you know. And after that, 
Other voices went on. What a number of people there are in the carriage, thought Alice, saying, she must go by post, as she's got a head on her. She must be sent as a message by the telegraph. She must draw the train herself the rest of the way, and so on. But the gentleman dressed in white paper leaned forwards and whispered in her ear, Never mind what they all say, my dear, but take a return ticket every time the train stops. Indeed I shan't, Alice said rather impatiently. I don't belong to this railway journey at all. I was in a wood just now, and I wish I could get back there. You might make a joke on that, said the little voice close to her ear. Something about, you would if you could, you know. Don't tease so, said Alice, looking about in vain to where the voice came from. If you're so anxious to have a joke made, why don't you make one yourself? The little voice sighed deeply. It was very unhappy, evidently, and Alice would have said something pitying to comfort it. If it would only sigh like other people, she thought. But this was such a wonderfully small sigh that she wouldn't have heard it at all if it hadn't come quite close to her ear. The consequence of this was it tickled her ear very much and quite took off her thoughts from the unhappiness of the poor little creature. I know you're a friend, the little voice went on, a dear friend and an old friend, and you won't hurt me, though I am an insect. What kind of insect? Alice inquired a little anxiously. What she really wanted to know was whether it could sting or not, but she thought this wouldn't be quite a civil question to ask. What then? You don't, the little voice began, when it was drowned by a shrill scream from the engine, and everybody jumped up in alarm, Alice among the rest. The horse, who had put his head out of the window, quietly drew it in and said, It's only a brook we have to jump over. Everybody seemed satisfied with this, though Alice felt a little nervous at the idea of trains jumping at all. However, it'll take us into the fourth square. That's some comfort, she said to herself. In another moment, she felt the carriage rise straight up into the air, and in her fright, she caught at the thing nearest to her hand, which happened to be the goat's beard. But the beard seemed to melt away as she touched it, and she found herself sitting quietly under a tree while the gnat, for that was the insect she had been talking to, was balancing itself on a twig just above her head and fanning her with its wings. It certainly was a very large gnat, about the size of a chicken, Alice thought. Still, she couldn't feel nervous with it after they'd been talking together so long. Then you don't like all insects, the gnat went on, as quietly as if nothing had happened. I like them when they can talk, Alice said. None of them ever talk, where I come from. What sort of insects do you rejoice in, where you come from? The gnat inquired. I don't rejoice in insects at all, Alice explained, because I'm rather afraid of them, at least the large kinds but I can tell you the names of some of them. Of course they answer to their names, the gnat remarked carelessly. I never knew them to do it. What's the use of their having names, the gnat said, if they won't answer to them? No use to them, said Alice, but it's useful to the people who name them, I suppose. If not, why do things have names at all? I can't say, the gnat replied. Further on, in the wood down there, they've got no names. However, go with your list of insects. You're wasting time. Well, there's the horsefly, Alice began, counting off the names on her fingers. All right, said the gnat. Halfway up that bush, you'll see a rocking horsefly if you look. 
It's made entirely of wood and gets about by swinging itself from branch to branch. What does it live on? Alice asked with great curiosity. Sap and sawdust, said the gnat. Go on with the list. Alice looked at the rocking horse fly with great interest and made up her mind that it must have been just repainted. It looked so bright and sticky. And then she went on. And there's the dragonfly. Look on the branch above your head, said the gnat. And there you'll find a snap dragonfly. Its body is made of plum pudding, its wings of holly leaves, and its head is a raisin burning in brandy. And what does it live on? Alice asked as before. Frumenty and mince pie, the gnat replied, and it makes its nest in a Christmas box. And then there's the butterfly, Alice went on, after she had taken a good look at the insect with its head on fire, and had thought to herself, I wonder if that's the reason insects are so fond of flying into candles, because they want to turn into snap dragonflies. Crawling at your feet, said the gnat, Alice drew her feet back in some alarm, you may observe a bread and butter fly. Its wings are thin slices of bread and butter, its body is a crust, and its head is a lump of sugar. And what does it live on? Weak tea with cream in it. A new difficulty came into Alice's head. Supposing it couldn't find any, she suggested. Then it would die, of course. But that must happen very often, Alice remarked thoughtfully. It always happens, said the gnat. After this, Alice was silent for a minute or two, pondering. The gnat amused itself, meanwhile, by humming round and round her head. At last, it settled again and remarked, I suppose you don't want to lose your name. No, indeed, Alice said, a little anxiously. And yet I don't know, the gnat went on in a careless tone. Only think how convenient it would be if you could manage to go home without it. For instance, if the governess wanted to call you to your lessons, she would call, come here, and there she would have to leave off because there wouldn't be any name for her to call, and of course you wouldn't have to go. That would never do, I'm sure, said Alice. The governess would never think of excusing me from lessons for that. If she couldn't remember my name, she'd call me Miss, as the servants do. Well, if she said Miss and didn't say any more, the gnat remarked, of course you'd miss your lessons. That's a joke. I wish you had made it. Why do you wish I had made it? Alice asked. It's a very bad one. But the gnat only sighed deeply while two large tears came rolling down its cheeks. You shouldn't make jokes, Alice said, if it makes you so unhappy. Then came another of those melancholy little sighs, and this time the poor gnat really seemed to have sighed itself away, for when Alice looked up, there was nothing whatever to be seen on the twig, and as she was getting quite chilly with sitting so long, she got up and walked on. She very soon came to an open field with a wood on the other side of it. It looked much darker than the last wood, and Alice felt a little timid about going into it. However, on second thoughts, she made up her mind to go on, for I certainly won't go back, she thought to herself, and this was the only way to the eighth square. This must be the wood, she said thoughtfully to herself, where things have no names. I wonder what'll become of my name when I go in. I shouldn't like to lose it at all, because they'd have to give me another, and would be almost certain to be an ugly one. But then the fun would be trying to find the creature that had got my old name. 
That's just like the advertisements, you know, when people lose dogs. Answers to the name of Dash had on a brass collar. Just fancy calling everything you met Alice till one of them answered. Only they wouldn't answer at all if they were wise. She was rambling on in this way when she reached the wood. It looked very cool and shady. Well, at any rate, it's a great comfort, she said, as she stepped under the trees. After being so hot, to get into the... Into what, she went on, rather surprised at not being able to think of the word. I mean to get on the... Under the... Under this, you know. Putting her hand on the trunk of a tree. What does it call itself, I wonder? I do believe it's got no name. Why, to be sure it hasn't. She stood still for a minute, thinking. Then she suddenly began again. Then it really has happened after all. And now, who am I? I will remember if I can. I'm determined to do it. But being determined didn't help much. And all she could say after a great deal of puzzling was, L. I know it begins with L. Just then a fawn came wandering by. I looked at Alice with large, gentle eyes, but didn't seem at all frightened. Here then, here then, Alice said, as she held out her hand and tried to stroke it. But it only started back a little, and then stood looking at her again. What do you call yourself? The fawn said at last, such a sweet, soft voice it had. I wish I knew, thought poor Alice. She answered rather sadly, nothing just now. Think again, it said, that won't do. Alice thought, but nothing came of it. Please, would you tell me what you call yourself? She said timidly. I think that might help a little. I'll tell you if you move a little further on, the fawn said. I can't remember here. So they walked on together through the wood, Alice with her arms clasped lovingly round the soft neck of the fawn, till they came out into another open field. And here the fawn gave a sudden bound into the air and shook itself free from Alice's arms. I'm a fawn, it cried out in a voice of delight, and dare me, you're a human child. A sudden look of alarm came into its beautiful brown eyes, and in another moment it had darted away at full speed. Alice stood looking after it, almost ready to cry with vexation at having lost her dear little fellow traveller so suddenly. However, I know my name now, she said. That's some comfort. Alice. Alice. I won't forget it again. And now, which of these finger posts ought I to follow, I wonder? It was not a very difficult question to answer, as there was only one road through the wood, and the two finger posts both pointed along it. I'll settle it, Alice said to herself, when the road divides and they point different ways. But this did not seem likely to happen. She went on and on a long way, wherever the road divided, there were sure to be two finger posts pointing the same way one marked to Tweedledum's house, and the other to the house of Tweedledee. I do believe, said Alice at last, that they live in the same house. I wonder I never thought of that before. But I can't stay there long. I'll just call and say how do you do, and ask them the way out of the wood. If I could only get to the eighth square before it's dark. So she wandered on, talking to herself as she went, till on turning a sharp corner, she came upon two fat little men, so suddenly that she could not help starting back. But in another moment, she recovered herself, feeling sure that they must be. Chapter 4 Tweedledum and Tweedledee 
They were standing under a tree, each with an arm round the other's neck. And Alice knew which was which in a moment, because one of them had dumb embroidered on his collar, and the other D. I suppose they've each got Tweedle round at the back of the collar, she said to herself. They stood so still that she quite forgot they were alive, and she was just looking round to see if the word Tweedle was written at the back of each collar, when she was startled by a voice coming from the one marked Dumb. If you think we're waxworks, he said, you ought to pay, you know. Waxworks weren't made to be looked at for nothing. No how. Contrarywise, added the one marked D, if you think we're alive, you ought to speak. I'm sure I'm very sorry, was all Alice could say, for the words of the old song kept ringing through her head like the ticking of a clock, and she could hardly help saying them out loud. Tweedledum and Tweedledee agreed to have a battle, for Tweedledum said Tweedledee had spoiled his nice new rattle. Just then flew down a monstrous crow as black as a tar barrel, which frightened both the heroes so they quite forgot their quarrel. I know what you're thinking about, said Tweedledum, but it isn't so, no how. Contrarywise, continued Tweedledee, if it was so, it might be, and if it were so, it would be, but as it isn't, it ain't. That's logic. I was thinking, Alice said very politely, which is the best way out of this wood? It's getting so dark. Would you tell me, please? But the little men only looked at each other and grinned. They looked so exactly like a couple of great schoolboys that Alice couldn't help pointing her finger at Tweedledum and saying, First boy. No how, Tweedledum cried out briskly and shut up his mouth again with a snap. Next boy, said Alice, passing on to Tweedledee, though she felt quite certain he would only shout contrary-wise, and so he did. You've been wrong, cried Tweedledum. The first thing in a visit is to say, how do you do, and shake hands. And here the two brothers gave each other a hug, and then they held out the two hands that were free to shake hands with her. Alice did not like shaking hands with either of them first, for fear of hurting the other one's feelings. So it's the best way out of the difficulty, she took hold of both hands at once. The next moment, they were dancing round in a ring. This seemed quite natural, she remembered afterwards. And she was not even surprised to hear music playing. It seemed to be coming from the tree under which they were dancing, and it was done, as well as she could make it out, by the branches rubbing one across the other, like fiddles and fiddlesticks. But it certainly was funny, Alice said afterwards, when she was telling her sister the story of all this, to find myself singing, Here We Go Round the Mulberry Bush. I don't know when I began it, but somehow I felt as if I'd been singing it a long, long time. The other two dancers were fat and very soon out of breath. Four times round is enough for one dance, Tweedledum panted out, and they left off dancing as suddenly as they'd begun. The music stopped at the same moment. Then they let go of Alice's hands and stood looking at her for a minute. There was a rather awkward pause, as Alice didn't know how to begin a conversation with people she had just been dancing with. It would never do to say, how do you do now, she said to herself. We seem to have got beyond that, somehow. I hope you're not much tired, she said at last. No how. And thank you very much for asking, said Tweedledum. So much obliged, added Tweedledee. You like poetry? Yes, pretty well. Some poetry, Alice said doubtfully. 
Would you tell me which road leads out of the wood? What shall I repeat to her, said Tweedledee, looking round at Tweedledum with great solemn eyes, and not noticing Alice's question. The walrus and the carpenter is the longest, Tweedledum replied, giving his brother an affectionate hug. Tweedledee began instantly. The sun was shining. Here Alice ventured to interrupt him. If it's very long, she said, as politely as she could, would you please tell me first which road? Tweedledee smiled gently and began again. The sun was shining on the sea, shining with all his might. He did his very best to make the billows smooth and bright. And this was odd because it was the middle of the night. The moon was shining sulkily because she thought the sun had got no business to be there after the day was done. It's very rude of him, she said, to come and spoil the fun. The sea was wet as wet could be. The sands were dry as dry. You could not see a cloud because no cloud was in the sky. No birds were flying overhead. There were no birds to fly. The walrus and the carpenter were walking close at hand. They wept like anything to see such quantities of sand. If this were only cleared away, they said, it would be grand. If seven maids with seven mops swept it for half a year, do you suppose, the walrus said, that they could get it clear? I doubt it, said the carpenter, and shed a bitter tear. Oh, oysters, come and walk with us, the walrus did beseech. A pleasant walk, a pleasant talk, along the briny beach. We cannot do with more than four to give a hand to each. The eldest oyster looked at him, but never a word he said. The eldest oyster winked his eye and shook his heavy head, meaning to say he did not choose to leave the oyster bed. But four young oysters hurried up, all eager for the treat. Their coats were brushed, their faces washed, their shoes were clean and neat. And this was odd because, you know, they hadn't any feet. Four other oysters followed them, and yet another four, and thick and fast they came at last, and more and more and more, all hopping through the frothy waves and scrambling to the shore. The walrus and the carpenter walked on a mile or so, and then they rested on a rock, conveniently low. And all the little oysters stood and waited in a row. The time has come, the walrus said, to talk of many things, of shoes and ships and sealing wax, of cabbages and kings, and why the sea is boiling hot and whether pigs have wings. But wait a bit, the oysters cried, before we have our chat, for some of us are out of breath and all of us are fat. No hurry, said the carpenter. They thanked him much for that. A loaf of bread, the walrus said, is what we chiefly need. Pepper and vinegar, besides, are very good indeed. Now if you're ready, oysters, dear, we can begin to feed. But not on us, the oysters cried, turning a little blue. After such kindness, that would be a dismal thing to do. The night is fine, the walrus said. Do you admire the view? It was so kind of you to come, and you are very nice. The carpenter said nothing but cut us another slice. I wish you were not quite so deaf. I've had to ask you twice. It seems a shame, the walrus said, to play them such a trick. After we've brought them out so far and made them trot so quick. The carpenter said nothing but the butter spread too thick. I weep for you, the walrus said. I deeply sympathize. With sobs and tears he sorted out those of the largest size holding his pocket handkerchief before his streaming eyes. Oh, oysters, said the carpenter, you've had a pleasant run. 
Shall we be trotting home again? But answer came there none. And that was scarcely odd because they'd eaten every one. I like the walrus best, said Alice, because you see he was a little sorry for the poor oysters. He ate more than the carpenter, though, said Tweedledee. You see, he held his handkerchief in front so that the carpenter couldn't count how many he took. Contrary-wise. That was mean, Alice said indignantly. Then I like the carpenter best, if he didn't eat as many as a walrus. But he ate as many as he could get, said Tweedledum. This was a puzzler. After a pause, Alice began, well, they were both very unpleasant characters. Here she checked herself in some alarm at hearing something that sounded to her like the puffing of a large steam engine in the wood near them, though she feared it was more likely to be a wild beast. Are there any lions or tigers about here? she asked, timidly. It's only the Red King snoring, said Tweedledee. Come and look at him, the brothers cried, and they each took one of Alice's hands and led her up to where the king was sleeping. Isn't he a lovely sight, said Tweedledum. Alice couldn't say honestly that he was. He had a tall red nightcap on with a tassel, and he was lying crumpled up in a sort of untidy heap and snoring loudly, fit to snore his head off, as Tweedledum remarked. I'm afraid he'll catch cold with lying on the damp grass, said Alice, who was a very thoughtful little girl. He's dreaming now, said Tweedledee. And what do you think he's dreaming about? Alice said, nobody can guess that. Why, about you, Tweedledee exclaimed, clapping his hands triumphantly. And if he left off dreaming about you, where do you suppose you'd be? Where I am now, of course, Alice said. Not you, Tweedledee retorted contemptuously. You'd be nowhere. Why, you're only a sort of thing in his dream. If that there king was to wake, added Tweedledum, you'd go out, bang, just like a candle. I shouldn't, Alice exclaimed indignantly. Besides, if I'm only a sort of thing in his dream, what are you, I should like to know? Ditto, said Tweedledum. Ditto, ditto, cried Tweedledee. He shouted this so loud that Alice couldn't help saying, Hush, you'll wake him, I'm afraid, if you make so much noise. Well, it's no use your talking about waking him, said Tweedledum, when you're only one of the things in his dream. You know very well you're not real. I am real, said Alice, and began to cry. You won't make yourself a bit realer by crying, Tweedledee remarked. There's nothing to cry about. If I wasn't real, Alice said, half laughing through her tears, it all seemed so ridiculous, I shouldn't be able to cry. I hope you don't suppose those are real tears, Tweedledum interrupted, in a tone of great contempt. I know they're talking nonsense, Alice thought to herself, and it's foolish to cry about it. So she brushed away her tears and went on as cheerfully as she could. At any rate, I'd better be getting out of the wood, for really, it's coming on very dark. Do you think it's going to rain? Tweedledum spread a large umbrella over himself and his brother and looked up into it. No, I don't think it is, he said. At least, not under here. No how. But it may rain outside. It may, if it chooses, said Tweedledee. We've no objection. Contrary-wise. Selfish things, thought Alice. And she was going to say good night and leave them when Tweedledum sprang out from under the umbrella and seized her by the wrist. Do you see that? he said, in a voice choking with passion, and his eyes grew large and yellow all in a moment, as he pointed with a trembling finger at a small white thing lying under the tree. It's only a rattle, Alice said, after a careful examination of the little white thing. Not a rattlesnake, you know, she added hastily, thinking that he was frightened. 
only an old rattle, quite old and broken. I knew it was, cried Tweedledum, beginning to stamp about wildly and tear his hair. It's spoiled, of course. Here he looked at Tweedledee, who immediately sat down on the ground and tried to hide himself under the umbrella. Alice laid her hand upon his arm and said in a soothing tone, You needn't be so angry about an old rattle. But it isn't old, Tweedledum cried, in a greater fury than ever. It's new, I tell you. I bought it yesterday. My nice, new rattle. And his voice rose to a perfect scream. At this time, Tweedledee was trying his best to fold up the umbrella with himself in it, which was such an extraordinary thing to do that it quite took Alice's attention from the angry brother. But he couldn't quite succeed, and it ended in his rolling over, bundled up in the umbrella, with only his head out, and there he lay, opening and shutting his mouth and his large eyes, looking more like a fish than anything else, Alice thought. Of course, you agree to have a battle, Tweedledum said in a calmer tone. I suppose so, the other sulkily replied as he crawled out of the umbrella. Only she must help us to dress up, you know. So the two brothers went off hand in hand into the wood and returned in a minute with their arms full of things such as bolsters, blankets, hearthrugs, tablecloths, dish covers, and coal scuttles. I hope you're a good hand at pinning and tying strings, Tweedledum remarked. Every one of these things has got to go on, somehow or other. Alice said afterwards she had never seen such a fuss made about anything in all her life, the way those two bustled about, and the quantity of things they put on, and the trouble they gave her in tying strings and fastening buttons. Really, they'll be more like bundles of old clothes than anything else by the time they're ready, she said to herself, as she arranged a bolster around the neck of Tweedledee, to keep his head from being cut off, as he said. You know, he added very gravely, it's one of the most serious things that can possibly happen to one in a battle, to get one's head cut off. Alice laughed aloud, but she managed to turn it into a cough for fear of hurting his feelings. Do I look very pale, said Tweedledum, coming up to have his helmet tied on. He called it a helmet, though it certainly looked much more like a saucepan. Well, yes, a little, Alice replied gently. I'm very brave generally, he went on in a low voice. Only today, I happen to have a headache. And I've got a toothache, said Tweedledee, who had overheard the remark. I'm far worse off than you. Then you'd better not fight today, said Alice, thinking it a good opportunity to make peace. We must have a bit of a fight, but I don't care about going on long, said Tweedledum. What's the time now? Tweedledee looked at his watch and said, Half past four. Let's fight till six and then have dinner, said Tweedledum. Very well, the other said, rather sadly, and she can watch us. Only, you better not come very close, he added. I generally hit everything I can see when I get really excited. And I hit everything within reach, cried Tweedledum, whether I can see it or not. Alice laughed. You must hit the trees pretty often, I should think, she said. Tweedledum looked round with a satisfied smile. I don't suppose, he said. There'll be a tree left standing, forever so far around, by the time we've finished. And all about a rattle, said Alice, still hoping to make them a little ashamed of fighting for such a trifle. I shouldn't have minded it so much, said Tweedledum, if it hadn't been a new one. I wish the monstrous crow would come, thought Alice. There's only one sword, you know, Tweedledum said to his brother, but you can have the umbrella, it's quite as sharp. Only we must begin quick, it's getting as dark as it can. And darker, said Tweedledee. It was getting dark, so suddenly, that Alice thought there must be a thunderstorm coming, 
What a thick black cloud that is, she said, and how fast it comes. Why, I do believe it's got wings. It's the crow, Tweedledum cried out in a shrill voice of alarm, and the two brothers took to their heels and were out of sight in a moment. Alice ran a little way into the wood and stopped under a large tree. It can never get at me here, she thought. It's far too large to squeeze itself among the trees. But I wish it wouldn't flap its wings so. It makes quite a hurricane in the wood. Here's somebody's shawl being blown away. Good night.